This morning, I want to talk about things that have an opposite effect that you think they're going to have. And if you're following along with us now on the sermon notes page, you just got the first blank filled in. Sometimes things have the opposite effect you think they're going to have. So during uh, British colonialism in India, one of the problems the British identified was that India had too many cobras in populated areas. Aren't you glad you don't live there? So they decided to take care of the cobra problem. They would put a two-cent bounty on every dead cobra that was brought in. They did this to enlist the entire population of India in helping them to exterminate the venomous snake menace. So truckloads of dead cobras were brought in and two cents was paid out for every one of them. But over time, the population of venomous snakes was not going down. You see, the people were so poor that they started cobra farms in their house. They were raising the cobras in little boxes hidden in their house. And then when they were large enough, slaughtering them and taking them in for the bounty. When the British authorities found out about this, they were understandably annoyed, so they rescinded the bounty. Well, now that as soon as the snakes had no value, every cobra in India was released into the streets. Now there were twice as many cobras as there were before. Sometimes things have the opposite effect you think they're going to have. Sometimes you're actually releasing the cobras. Sometimes things have the opposite effect that you think they're going to have. So for years and years, I created our family budget. I ran it with meticulous care and attention, and my wife was not happy. I was too tight with the money, she said. I planned everything, she said. I never did anything spontaneous, left no room for surprises. I was boring the family to death. So one night I was home by myself and an advertisement came on the television. Something that looked more fun than I or any of you could possibly imagine. It was a concert. Not just any concert. This concert came with pyrotechnics. It had a humongo, gigantic video screen. This concert was family friendly so our whole family could attend. I was home alone and I thought, now is my chance. I am going to surprise that woman's socks off. So I got on the computer and I bought four tickets for a Thursday night in December at the Sprint Center. It felt so wrong to be so spur of the moment, but I was starting to grow on me. I see why the, my wife loves this spontaneity thing. And I imagined the, just the glow around her angelic face as I led our family on this expensive outing that required no savings, no holiday, no vacation plan. We just bought it and went like crazy people. Now, concert tickets are way more expensive than you think they're going to be because after you pay the advertised price and after you pick your seat, then they start asking you these questions. Do you want to park within 50 miles of the Sprint Center? There's an extra fee for that. Uh, don't forget there's a real hefty entertainment tax in Missouri. Would you like to pay for this with a credit card? Uh, because that's a really uh, another fee. Uh, and if this show is canceled, do you want your money back? Because you're not getting any of this back unless you buy this ticket insurance. So eight screens later, our little outing is costing almost double what I thought. But that's okay, because I'm doing this all for the glory of love. So we had this little fun budget. Every two weeks, $20 that I gave to her to just go crazy with, baby. Every 14 days, we can go see a movie. Make your own popcorn, though. And, uh, you know, just do anything you like. Well, 
If I took that out of the budget for four and a half months, then we could afford this foray into spontaneity and excitement. Besides, I knew that the glory of the Lord that would be emanating from my family after we went to this concert was going to last a lot longer than four and a half months of a fun budget. So I hit buy. I did it. Next week, my wife was scrolling through the Express spreadsheet, and she said, uh, why is there no fun budget from December to March? Honey, I said, you know how you're always saying that I need to be more spontaneous? Well, I've done it. You and me and the kids are going on a wild outing you will never forget. And she said to me, what have you done? (laughs) I did what you wanted. I said, I'm going to surprise you. And she said, no, you're not. What is it? She said, if I'm going to sit at home with no fun budget for four and a half months, and she wanted me to add this service, miss the staff retreat to Colorado to stay in some million-dollar house for free, uh, I want to know what it is. I said, okay, okay, I'll tell you. Because really, I was busting at the seams. I wanted to tell her anyway. I said, honey, you and me and the kids are going to go see the Star Wars Orchestra. 200-piece orchestra playing all your favorite anthems. 100-piece choir singing Duel of the Fates, the music they killed Darth Maul to. Pyrotechnics, jumbo screen, narrated by Sir Anthony Daniel C-3PO himself. Some things have the opposite effect that you think they're going to have. Sometimes you actually release the cobras. I've never been allowed to plan plan a spontaneous family uh, outing for the family since. In this series, we're examining Jesus' values. We're going to see that Jesus gets his values from the Old Testament and that they sometimes have a surprising opposite effect than what you think. And the way the Old Testament explains these values tells us so much about who Jesus was. And the first value that we want to uh, study in this part of our series is Jesus' value of putting God first. Now, Jesus says this in many, many ways in the gospel, but my favorite uh, phrase that he uses is in Matthew chapter 6. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Now, when Jesus says that, put God first and he'll give you everything you need, he is reflecting the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament. Have you ever noticed that in the Ten Commandments, three of them are all about putting God first? So now you've got your third blank here, putting God first. So let's go back into the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 5, where the Ten Commandments are given and see where Jesus got this value from. Deuteronomy chapter 5, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. No gods before him. Now, we're used to it now, but that was a big deal in 12 or 1400 BC. See, they had just left Egypt, a land of polytheistic pagans, and they were going to live in the land of Canaan, another land of polytheistic pagans. They're leaving the gods of Egypt, who are gods of darkness and gods of death. They're going into the land of Canaan, where they worship gods of sex and gods of blood. This would be like a judge setting you free from Ozzy Osbourne's house so that you could go live with Marilyn Manson. Not Alice Cooper, though. He's a follower of Jesus. See his testimony on YouTube. All right. But this is a, this is a big deal back then. 
Because if you just chose one God, you might miss out on what all the other gods had to offer. But he said, me first. Then there comes the second commandment, still in Deuteronomy chapter 5. You must not make yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, am your God, am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Egyptians made their idols humongous so that you would know how powerful their gods were. Think of the Sphinx and others that you have seen. Canaanite gods were different. They were much smaller, and you got a lot of giggles out of them at your seventh grade trip to the Nelson Atkins because uh, they had gigantic girl and boy parts. I, I can't even show you pictures of the pagan gods because, from Canaan because they're obscene. But that was to let you know how vigorous and fertile their gods are and how vigorous and fertile you would be if you followed them. And this was tempting for a bunch of Israelites. So uh, pagan idol worship was huge back then, and God wanted them to have no part of it. Now, this second commandment about not making idols, uh, I think a lot of times in modern culture, this makes us feel really good about ourselves because we think, who would do something dumb like that? Who would bow down to an, an idol made out of wood or stone or even gold? How primitive do you have to be to do something like that? But then the New Testament comes along, and it starts to tell us uh, there are other forms of idol worship. Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 5, You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Oh. And then Jesus has this story about idolatry. Luke chapter 12, then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them this this story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now, take it easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Here's your seventh blank. God wants to be first. First before all the things we own and chase after. God becomes before all the money we have. But back then, when this, ten command, uh, this commandment came out, in Jesus' time and today, this is a very hard word. To put God in front of making money and accumulating things means you might miss out on some fun. It means that you might uh, not have the security that you were hoping for in your old age. It scares us to put God in front of idols. And then there's the third commandment. Still in Deuteronomy chapter 5. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. So sometimes called uh, taking the Lord's name in vain. Most of the time we think of this as not swearing using God's name. You know, saying Jesus Christ when we're upset and all that sort of thing. And it is that, but it is also more than that. 
It is attaching God's name to things that actually have nothing to do with him or that don't look very much like him, even though we've attached his name to it. So these days we attach God's name to all sorts of things. Um, We attach God's name to nations. We attach God's name to political parties. We attach God's name to wars. We attach God's name to our businesses. We attach God's name to merchandise that we're selling. Have you ever been cut off in traffic by a car and then you see the little fish emblem on the back? Doesn't that make you super duper happy? That's not representing how Jesus would drive in that instance, but they named that car in the name of Jesus. Um, Have you ever been cheated in business by a company that advertised themselves as a Christian company? They had something Jesus-y in the name. They had a fish on their webpage, the word integrity somewhere in the title, and then they cheated you. It's fine if you want to claim that your business is a Christian business, but remember, if you attach the name of God to something, you're committing to bring him glory in everything you do in that endeavor. Every way you drive in that car, every way you treat a customer who bought that product. We claim to be a Christian nation. Do we really understand what that commits us to? That Because putting God first as a nation may cut you off from some tactics and some methods that could make your nation more powerful or richer than another nation. Are we prepared for that in Jesus' name? The problem is that we just don't believe that putting God first will really give us everything we need the way Jesus says. And so we put God on the back burner and we focus on other things, believing that we're just taking care of the things that are our responsibility. That's your 11th blank. We believe we're just taking care of the things that are our responsibility to take care of. And so we put God on the back burner. And the problem with that is it often has the opposite effect of what you're hoping for. Take raising kids. I see people who take their kids out of church. And I don't mean a Sunday here or there for a tournament. I mean far, far from the church to participate in enriching activities, sports, the arts, all this sort of thing. They believe it will train their mind and body for greatness. But I find too often it impoverishes their spirit with no community to help keep the morals that were taught in the family, with no moral backbone, that the cobras are being bred in the basement and later released into the streets. And these kids often get into a lot of trouble. Take jobs. I see people who are out of work. I see people who are underemployed uh, or people who are not yet employed, right? Like they're still in school. And so they turn their focus away from God and away from worship and they focus it all on searching for a job or getting a degree or making extra money. And these are all good things to do, but they exclude God to get it done with laser focus because they're trying to make their way in the world. And too often what I find is the world makes its way into them. Without God who provides, they just don't have what it takes to keep themselves afloat. Without God to help them truly know their gifts and know themselves, they can't, they can't find a fulfilling career. Trying to rely on their own resources, they just multiply the cobras. And then there's relationships. I see people and their marriage gets rocky. All marriages get rocky. My wife and I have been married for 17 wonderful years and, and 20 total. They, <laughs> did that one soak in? <laughs> they isolate themselves 
from serving when they hit that rocky place. They isolate themselves from a small group. They isolate themselves from Christian friends. They say they're doing this so they can focus on the relationship, but all they're really doing is taking the same two people who can't seem to get this figured out and put them into a tiny saucepan, just the two of them, and clap the lid on it, and then turn the heat up to see if we can really get this thing to boil over. You need community in order to keep your sanity and perspective and to keep those vital relationships of love and marriage. But putting God first can also have the opposite effect of what you're expecting. You know, we're scared to put God first. Is God really going to make your kids smarter and more athletic? Is God going to heal your marriage just because you're attending church, signing up for a church milestone class? Is God going to protect you from bullies and bad guys in the world? I got my first black belt at age 16. And one day on the school bus, you know the school bus, the source of all evil in the world, the hell mouth on wheels, um, I was forced to use those martial arts skills. This hulking kid from the sticks, he got annoyed with me. He reached over, took me by the shirt collar, hoisted me up out of my seat so we could have a little chat. And if he started punching, I was not going to be able to get away. So I took all those martial arts lessons my parents had been paying for all those years, and I put them to use. And I, I didn't just get him to release me, but I reversed the hold and made him promise to behave for the rest of our long ride to school. So the next week, I'm at the dojang, I'm teaching a class, and who should walk into the sign-up counter but Mr. School Bus Bully? That thing you did, he said, you're half my size. I want to learn how you did it. And he signed up for lessons. He put $30 down right then. Now I'm teaching someone to fight who just tried to beat me up a week ago. With his size, he's only going to need like two and a half lessons to reassume the advantage. <laughs> this, this seems a lot like selling guns to the enemy. But our school was one of those Christian businesses I warned you about. Prayers before class karate summer camp with preachers and chapel, little crosses embroidered on our belts, and this annoying phrase from Jesus, love thy enemy. So here I am teaching Mr. School Bus Bully. And over the coming years, he begins to have a change of heart. He has an encounter with Jesus Christ. He became a youth pastor. He started his own business. On his website today, I just, I just looked it up. You can still read these words on his homepage. My wife and I founded our business on our love for each other and our commitment to Jesus Christ. I do business that way too, honest, upfront, and no nonsense. God comes before everything, including how we would like to treat our enemies. And he can bring from any situation an unexpected good if you will put him first. Jesus was taken out into the desert right at the beginning of his ministry and he was tempted by the devil. Each of these temptations was a temptation to put himself first instead of God. This is your 12th blank. To put, himself, uh, to put God above even basic needs, even above political power. So let's read the temptations of Jesus, at least the first two, from Luke chapter 4. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. 
But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Rich scripture said that. The Old Testament scripture said that. In fact, Deuteronomy that we've been studying said that God was all you need to live. I remember the day God fed us. My wife and I were newlyweds. We were just married. Um, yeah, that's what newlyweds means. And it was, one, it was one of those months where the car broke down, everything went wrong. So we got to the end of the month. We had no food in the house. And for money, we had three George Washingtons. So that morning, we had a lot of errands to run. And so we prayed, Lord, we know you can provide all of our needs. We don't see how, but we trust you. That afternoon, our second errand was to go to a friend's graduation party from college. We got to his house. His mother had decided to make it a full sit-down lunch. Now, who does an open house for a graduation from college and makes it a full sit-down lunch? I've never seen it before or since, but we were really grateful for it that day. And we ate a lot. At the end of the day, we'd made it through the whole day. We took our $3 over to Backyard Burger. May she rest in peace. <laughs> we bought one hamburger. We planned to cut it in half and praise the Lord that he had provided. There was a mix-up in the kitchen. They said, we'll bring it out to you. They brought us out two hamburger meals, two fries, two drinks, two sandwiches. We opened the bag. We were starting to salivate, but we couldn't keep it. We'd only paid for one sandwich. So we took it back to the counter and said, uh, we're sorry, we paid for one sandwich, but you've given us two full meals. Oh, the manager said, well, I appreciate your honesty, but I can't take it back, so enjoy. An unexpected day, unexpected end to a day that began with putting God first. God had provided. The next day, my check deposited, and I got a lot better at budgeting, which would eventually lead to the Star Wars orchestra fiasco 12 years later. <laughs> Luke chapter 4. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Which scripture said that? The Old Testament scripture said that. In fact, Deuteronomy that we've been studying. Uh, even before country, he offered him all the countries and political power in the world. Even before country, God comes first. Eric Little was a son of a Scottish missionary. If I told you Eric Little was athletic, that'd be an understatement. At university, he took first or second place in almost every running event. So Eric was invited to be part of the UK Olympic team, 1924 Olympics in Paris. He was favored to win gold in the 100 meters. That would be the United Kingdom's first gold uh, in, in uh, the 100 meters. They called him the Flying Scotsman. Just one problem. The race in Paris was set for Sunday, and Eric Little, son of a missionary, would not run on Sundays. At 22 years old, he felt that Sunday was the Lord's Day and not for playing games. The UK Olympic Committee tried to pressure him by appealing to patriotism. You must do this for your country, they said. How can you deprive the United Kingdom of her first real shot at track gold? He replied, because God comes before country. When race day came, Eric was not there. He preached a sermon in a Presbyterian church in Paris. 
However, a different runner from the United Kingdom won gold in the race anyway. That runner happened to be Jewish, so his Sabbath was 24 hours earlier. No problem. He didn't cost the country anything. As Eric left preaching his sermon that morning, someone pressed a note into his hand. He opened it outside the church. It said, in the old book, it says, he that honors me, I will honor. It's an Old Testament scripture. Now, Eric, just for fun, since he was in Paris anyway, had switched to the 400-meter race, a race he was considered ill-equipped to run. He had not trained for it. It was four times longer than the race he had trained for. And when they drew races, uh, lanes, he drew the outside lane, which is very unfortunate because you cannot see the other runners, even though you're actually behind them, not in front of them. Worse yet, when they fired the starting pistol, he ran the first half of the race at his 100-meter pace, way too fast. It was certain he would drop back in the last half. But he didn't. He gained. He lengthened his lead. He broke the finishing tape five meters ahead of second place and won a new world record 47 and three-quarters seconds. An unexpected good from a day that began with making God first. The UK didn't lose gold. They got two golds. And Eric Little broke a world record in a race he had not trained for. You see, we have God all wrong with this. We thought in the Ten Commandments, God wanted to be first because he's the biggest, biggest megalomaniac in the universe. And since he's all powerful, you have to do what he says. But Jesus came and he opened the very same scriptures and he said the very same thing. Yes, God must be first before family before friends, before nation, before everything, God. But then Jesus shows us why. Because God loves you with an unimaginable love. Because God wants to care for you and provide you in a way you can never understand. It said all that in the Old Testament too, but you missed it. So see it now. Jesus went to the cross, he died, and he gave his life, showing us the love of God, how far God is willing to go. We'd be destroyed without him first in our life. We don't have the wisdom we need. We don't have the power and the wealth we need to prevent bad things from happening to us. Without God, we are completely vulnerable to attacks of all kinds, natural and supernatural. But God can be our armor against those things if only we will make him First, you try to armor up your own marriage and you will lose it. You try to armor up your own finances, you'll be bankrupt. You try to armor up your own kids with your own child development plan, you will lose them to this world. God knows where the armor goes. But he knows we won't submit to where the armor goes because it goes in such unexpected places. He knows we won't submit to it unless we have first made a commitment to make him first in our mind, our heart, and our soul. I want to close today telling you about Abraham Wald. Abraham Wald was a Jewish mathematician in World War II. His teaching career in Germany was ruined and his family killed by the Nazis. So Abraham Wald wanted to help the Allies defeat them after he escaped from Germany. So the Royal Air Force gave Wald, the mathematician, this project. Figure out how to protect our bombers. Because right now, when a bomber takes off, it's a 50-50 chance whether it's going to be with us until the end of the war. We can't armor the whole plane because then it will never take off. We just need to armor the weak points. 
And so Vald gave airfields a paper diagram of a bomber. And he said, when you go out and do a once over, I just want you to put a red dot very quickly everywhere on this diagram where you find a bullet hole. Well, after hundreds of planes, you get a diagram composited that looks like this. And now they know where to put the armor. The Royal Air Force ordered armor everywhere where there is a bullet hole. But Abraham Vald said, no, no, increase the armor here in the blue zones, everywhere where there's not a bullet hole. The Royal Air Force is baffled. Why are you wanting to increase armor in the zones where there are no bullet holes? Because, Vald says, these diagrams are being made from the planes that are making it home. These diagrams show that you can shoot our planes in these places and it will still fly. But out there in the ocean and burning in the fields of Europe, there are planes that must look like this. So they did what he said and it worked. God is like that. He knows where to put the armor. And very often it's in the unexpected place of loving him first. We want to cover the obvious bullet holes that we can see in our everyday experience, but God knows the shots that you can take and you'll still fly versus the shots that will bring you out of the sky. And he can show you where they are if you will make him first. Let us have just a moment of silence this morning to perhaps hear from the Lord on where these unexpected places are that need armoring in our life and where we might need to put aside our own intuition, fear, and self-reliance and make him first. Let us pray. Father, show us where we can make you first. Show us, Lord, the places we need your armor however unexpected it may be. Let's have just a moment of silence together. Let's, say this, let's bless each other with this verse. Glory to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him from generation to generation in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for our food. Father, we thank you for all good gifts, this food that we are about to eat. And may, as you continue to bless us, we share those blessings with the world, as you call us, as your stewards. May we be Christian, loving and as Christ would love, going where Christ would go, serving whom Christ would serve. Amen. Okay, enjoyed celebration.